Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. I am the partner married to an SAPA for 16 years, D-Day 21 months ago, both have been seeing a CSAT for 16 months. He does two 12-step meetings a week, been sober nine months. The problem is I feel like he does not make amends or show any remorse, although he denies this. He has said he is sorry three to four times as he is trying to push me on the bed and have sex. To me, this is not sorry. This is still occasional issues with dishonesty and blame shifting, et cetera. What are your thoughts? I feel like this is sobriety, not recovery. I had a physical reaction when he pushes me on the bed and says, sorry. I'm like, I'm sorry. That would feel like rape to me. I'm sorry. That's, I I would feel violated. That would be, that's me. I'm not saying that's you. I'm, but. Well, I want to affirm that to me because when I said I read spouses impact letters, I have at least seen maybe 20% or so that where a spouse said, you demanded sex of me, you pushed me into being sexual, you, uh, I went along with it just to, you know, keep you from being with other people or shut you up or, you know, I think this is a really important thing. Um, you have no amends. Uh, he has no remorse. Um, he said, sorry, and then wants to have sex with you. Boy, talk about somebody who needs to be in treatment. <laughs> this is someone who looks and sounds quite troubled. And I said 20% because not everybody comes in and says they pressured their spouse for sex and they pushed them when they didn't want it. And But there are some that do. And I worry about their relationships because you're going along with it is not going to help the situation at all. Um, it's just going to make you feel bad about yourself. And by the way, who says he's sober? Who says that he's really doing the work? Uh, have you had an a, a, a STD test yourself to make sure that you haven't been given something? Um, and again, sorry is not about words. It's about behavior. And it certainly isn't the behavior trying to push you into sex. Um, and again, I don't see, yes, he's, first of all, I have one more thought, which is where it says both have been seeing a CSAT for 16 months. I wonder if that's two different people, because I would feel uncomfortable if you were both going to the same person, especially at the same time, because one of our more difficult things as therapists is if we're doing couples work and one partner says, well, I did this, but don't tell my spouse. And then I don't tell their spouse. Well, then I'm lying to them by omission. And would you ever want to come to see me again if I kept a secret with your addict husband and didn't tell you? So I always feel that it's better for each of us to have someone to see. And even if you do disclosure or something, maybe both of them could sit on a screen and work with you because the better the person knows each of you and your challenges, the more likely it is that you're going to work this out. Um, And this is really disturbing. And I agree with you. It it doesn't sound like recovery, but I'm not sure it even sounds like sobriety because do you realize that you can be the object of his addiction and he can be objectifying and using you in addictive patterns? So even though he may not be going out there, he's still acting in the same way, pushing, demanding, getting whatever he wants to with you. And that is just as disturbing to me. So a lot of work here, I think, uh, for sure. And trust your feelings because they're right. 
Yes. And I, and I was thinking the same thing. I would have both CSATs and both of you like, I would look to schedule a conjoint session so that you guys can, can talk about this, but it does not feel like there's accountability for him. Um, uh, but the words are irrelevant. It really is actions and the pushing you on the bed to have sex. That is, that, that is not okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Next question. Uh, hi, Dr. Robin Tammy. Firstly, thank you so much for your free groups and YouTubes. I found CSATs for my husband and me through Seeking Integrity and it saved my life. So thank you. I'm a betrayed female partner married to a sex addict for 12 years, found out my husband was acting out 11 years ago, trickled disclosure over the years, and I'm not ready to put up boundaries till a year ago. Oh, and I was not willing to put up boundaries until a year ago. Since then, things have gotten worse. He broke my boundaries, got defensive, depressed, and threatened suicide. Uh, my question is, go ahead. You, you want to interrupt me? No, there? I just said, uh. Oh, just, oh, uh, uh. oh yeah. My question is, he is now sober for nearly four months. He sees his CSAT once a week or once every two weeks, depending on his CSAT has time. And he goes to one 12-step group a week. He has just um, put a new boundary to say that I don't feel safe to have sex. No, I've just put on a new boundary to say that I don't feel safe to have sex until I feel he is in recovery and not just sober. So I want him to go to more groups. I agree. Read books, do 12-step work on facing the shadows that, that a CSAT recommended. And I got him out of the doghouse a year ago and he has not opened the book yet. Oh, fudge. There's probably more. I got to tell well, you guys if they don't. Oh, here it is. Um, sorry, it cut out. Okay, so I'm going to, um, here it comes. You can see the next part. Uh, uh, listen to podcasts and watch YouTube without addiction, having a sponsor, but he is not willing to do any of it yet. He says he is not going to be beneficial to his recovery because he's so smart in recovery we talked about this earlier like you're being thinking got us here i can just i tell. am i'm sorry i'm sorry okay. okay but he is not willing to do any of this because he says it's not going to be beneficial for his recovery that for him he just needs to believe in god and have a c-set and one 12 step a week and he's all right um is there hope for him to be in full recovery that way when i give him this boundary he decided to oh. sleep in a different room and avoid me I feel so helpless and defeated. Sorry for the ramble. Thank you. Well, you want to start, Tammy? Or, I mean, there's a lot there. Or would you like me to? There is a lot there. So, I mean, it's really interesting that he that he took himself to another room. Like, uh, you know, um, but but I go back to, I mean, like at the end of the day, I'm, you know, you you guys get to decide. What do you want? And if you want a relationship together, the out of the doghouse book, I mean, it's, I don't even know, it's thin. It's not like, this is not, you know, war and peace. This is a thin book, but it's got practical tools to how to rebuild a, a relationship. You know, it's, it's not that hard, but he can't do it alone. And if he's going to consistently do this, I think he's telling you really clearly, you know, nope, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to do my own thing. Um, but that would make me have stronger boundaries i would reinforce my boundaries that's me well there's so much there thank you tammy i uh, know I think, i'm annoyed with that one i think just you is perfectly fine what are you doing polishing up the the logo back no there? i'm looking for out of the doghouse oh okay well let yeah. me say a few things um what i really don't like just to say it is the i don't know what the word is the casual use of the word god 
Um, I don't know what your beliefs are, but do you really, if he, if he, does he all of a sudden believe in God because now he's in trouble or did he believe in God before? Because if he had any spiritual beliefs before, he, that didn't stop him from acting out then. So why would it stop him from acting out now? And belief in God is not an action. You know, what did you say, Tammy, about potatoes? Can you say that again? If you pray for potatoes, you better pick up the spade. You got to do the work. So Right, exactly. And this is not what, so uh, this just disturbs me in all kinds of ways. And you are really someone, plus the suicide thing. I've had a bunch of guys come in and it was so manipulative that they wanted their spouse to calm down. They wanted their attention. They didn't want them to leave, whatever the reason was. And they ended up in a hospital for a night because they threatened suicide, even though many of them have told me I would never have done that. What I was trying to do was manipulate. Uh, at least they tell me that in treatment. By the way, this is somebody who needs to go to treatment. Um, I can't see enough reasons why he should stay home with you. Trickling disclosure, 12 years. Um, what I appreciate is you're starting to put up boundaries and they're being broken. So that tells me that, uh, that you need to find a space that's safe for you. And I honestly, and I mean this most sincerely, I would put him out. I would say you need to stay with your family or your sister or your friend from college or whatever it is, because I don't want you in this house. I asked you to leave my bed and you're punishing me by going in another room uh, just because I won't have sex with you. Um, and you're not looking at the materials that, I mean, part of what I see, Tammy, and I wanted to say to you is it's really not, if, if I am in a relationship with you and I have hurt you, it's my job to discuss with you what would make us both feel comfortable about my recovery. So if you said, I really want you to go to three meetings a week, you know, maybe I can negotiate to two, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that because I don't want to do it, that I don't want to take your suggestion. You're not my teacher or spouse. Or, I mean, you're not my teacher or parent. You're not making suggestions. You're telling me what would make you feel comfortable. And for him to ignore that or say he's going to do his own thing or walk out into the other room, I just think there are all kinds of, not just red flags, I don't like him. <laughs> I do not like this man because he isn't treating you well and he's not respecting his family. So I have to say, let me get my hands on him. <laughs> and I will turn him into someone else. Um, seriously, I do get involved in treatment. So I get, uh, sometimes get a little challenging, but um, this is somebody who's so caught up in their own bullshit and trying to pull you in over and over again that I just, I, I don't have a lot of faith in this person's recovery, not from what I'm reading from you. Um, yeah, no, I, I think story. zero recovery. He may not be acting out, I don't know. I'm, I, I might be willing to give him that, but everything else, and like, I'm sorry, but Dr. Rob, you know, if I said three meetings a week that I really needed you to do that, you, you know what, do five. Do five, be an overachiever on that stuff. And going back to the person that was like, uh, the husband was like, I'm looking for a 30 day quick fix. You know what the fastest way to do things differently is? Lean into your recovery with the same intensity that you leaned into your addiction. You're going to do great. You know, did for porn users, did you look at porn 50 minutes a week, once a week? Like you go to your therapist? No. Well, did you think about it any other time? I mean, it is intrusive. It is invasive. It's one of those things where you can get help. And the quicker you do the things that are suggested, 
it, it makes a difference. We had that sex addiction 101 group start on Saturday. You know, there's still room and there's another one starting um, on 218. But like th those are some basic things. And I'm glad you're starting to put down some boundaries. You know, I, like I said, shore them up, you know, bigger boundaries. So for your safety, I mean, this, this honestly, you know what it is? I feel like this guy is completely immature, like so immature. I want this. I'm doing this. Me, 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 me. And nothing about, you know, what you need for safety. So. And you're getting threatened. Well, if you don't have sex with me, then forget it. I'm going to go in the other bedroom because you're punishing me. That's someone who's still trying to hold on to control or thinks they have it. I would say, you know what? I don't want you in the other bedroom. Here's I'm changing the locks because you, I think when addicts are running the show um, and running you around by the nose by saying, well, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that. Maybe I'll get to this. Something's not right at that party. Because, in fact, I, I just hear a lot of concern with Tammy about this particular situation and the one before it, because it doesn't sound like people who are taking this or you seriously um, and everything's on the line. They just don't get it. Um, yeah. Good to put up the boundaries. I agree with Tammy. So I checked and out of the doghouse is less than 200 pages. So and, and there's lots of fill in the blanks. It's not. And it's not rocket science. So, okay, next question. And I, want, I, wait, I want to say one Go more ahead. thing. To the person who has spiritual beliefs, if you happen to be a Christian, I wrote with a, a, a pastor friend, out of the doghouse for Christian men. So we can't, yes. oh, thanks. And Tammy. both of the, it's, yeah, I, I don't know if you can see them, but they're on our website, on the on the sexandrelationshiphealing.com site. We have resources and it includes books and there's bunches of books, you know, that support both partners and, you know, people struggling. So, but and like all kinds of good stuff. So, okay. Next question. How long does it usually take for an essay to remember things they've done in the past? Do they really not remember or while in active addiction, do they not even realize the actions are unacceptable um, or the addiction? Okay. So let me take on the first question. Do they really mm -hmm. not remember? Um, I -hmm. don't think that addicts remember the frequency or a particular person or what they did on a particular vacation or whatever. I mean, that's why we work with them on disclosure to help. I don't believe that someone coming into treatment is ready to disclose stuff to you because they just don't remember all of it, you know? And that doesn't mean that they don't care about you or you're finding out. It's, or it really means that there are pieces we don't remember. So, however, the majority of what we've done, we remember. And in terms of saying, I don't know how many people, how many sex workers I've been with, but I've been with probably three a week for the past five years. We can tell you that, you know, we can give you general, uh, general insight into what has happened without going through each detail. Going through details, I still think is a therapeutic process, one that should be done with a professional and preferably a CSAT or someone who knows this work or knows what they're doing. Um, but I don't think, again, that, he doesn't really remember. Um, he doesn't remember little details, but we remember the majority of it, unless he was doing drugs and, or drinking heavily at the same time. Um, do they realize, here, this one's for you, Tammy. Do they not realize, do they not even realize that their actions are unacceptable and the, you know, or the addiction? I think, or, or the fact that they have an addiction. Yeah, yeah, and I would say yes. I think that's very compartmentalized, and it it is. So Kim Buck in one of the webinars shared 
that the addiction's in the same part of the brain as breathing. And I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Cause we, you know, we're going to breathe, you know, we're going to make sure that we're able to breathe. And that's where addiction is, is way back here, nowhere near the front part of our brain where we actually think about it and go, would this be a good choice for our relationship? Is this going to do be something that my partner is going to be happy about? Zero thinking about that. And that's when we we're talking earlier about partners, you'll never understand our crazy brain. And I'm not saying crazy and you know, I'm, it, it just thinks differently. I still think differently. I, my daughter and husband, like my, my daughter has never known me in, in active addiction. And like, we had a conversation a few months ago and, and I was like, yeah, I struggle. Like th this is my brain thinking and I have to think like, is that really true? And it's one of those things where it's, it just, it's different. We addicts get it. We go to meetings and we laugh about stupid stuff that we did, you know, and like anybody else is going to go, you know, what were you thinking? We weren't, but it made perfect sense in addiction, you know, I mean, at the moment. Yeah. So, so completely compartmentalized. And I really, I see it as very siloed. So this compartment where I'm acting out and doing things that would be hurtful to you. Oh, that's completely different. When I walk in the door and say, hi, completely that those don't touch. And I really am glad to see you and I'm glad I'm home and I love you, but that still happened. But, and it does take you know, I, I, it's why, you know, working with a qualified professional where they start working on the timeline, not that they share the timeline with you verbatim, but it pulls that data together so that they get that. But, you know, I, I've listened to the clinical team and people will say something in a group and it's not on their timeline. There, there, there is a disconnect. And so working with the right professionals to help pull that information together that, you know, that makes a big difference. So. I want to answer to the last part of the question. Do they not even realize mm -hmm. the actions are unacceptable, which is what you were talking about, Tammy. This is what denial is. <laughs> you know, don't even know. Okay, denial. You want to write down what this acronym means? Don't even know I am lying. That's how we call it a lie. Don't even know that I'm lying. So, you know, I can think to myself, oh, we're not having a lot of sex, so it's okay for me to go do this, or it's not really an addiction. I just have a high sex drive. You know, there are so many ways that we uh, find to tell ourselves that what we're doing is okay. I mean, we honestly, if we saw it as not being okay and really saw the ramifications, we wouldn't be able to do it, but we deliberately avoid seeing. In fact, one of the first things that we do in Seeking Integrity, and, and you'll see me write this when I write about addiction, is the first thing we have to do is break apart those distortions. Here's a good one. What he or she doesn't know won't hurt them. But it does hurt everybody. It hurts you. It hurts the family. It hurts, the, if nothing else, the person's emotionally unavailable, non-intimate, you know, lying. So, yeah, I don't think that we understand the depth of the problem, the degree of the problem. And sometimes we don't even know we have a problem because it's your fault. I mean, you gained weight and don't have enough sex with me. So, of course, it's your fault. So, really, I, I absolutely think that we don't get it. That's why we go to so many meetings. That's why we go to therapy for us, not just to learn how to not do it, but to recognize when I'm thinking the wrong way. I mean, we don't even see it coming. So absolutely, I do. I think it's true. In fact, the longer we're doing this work, whether it's 12-step meetings or therapy or groups, the easier it is for us to recognize when we're in trouble. And that's one of the things we do in treatment, absolutely, is say, here's a, what are your warning signs? Not just what is your behavior, but what are the things that tell you you're gonna, gonna get in going to get in trouble? So this is a great question um, because no, we do not realize uh, for the most part that 
certainly that it's an addiction. We may know it's unacceptable because we'll hide it, um, but we certainly don't see it as addiction for the most part. Yeah, and the lies of omission, you know, like, and, and we hear this on disclosures all the time, you know, things were omitted, you know, and, um, and you go, you know what, you leave those important things off because you're afraid of the reaction. You know what's going to happen when they do find out, and they will, the reaction's worse, you know, it's way worse, you know. So, okay, next question. I am a sex and love addict and constantly feel like my partner is going to leave me. I have been doing inner child work, so I maintain boundaries when I am with my partner, but I always feel so worried they are going to leave me. How do I work on my abandonment issues? That's a great question. So, so Go ahead, Tori Jeff. Love has a work group starting February 7th that's on those exact things. It it's, is. It's the attachment wound stuff. So, you know, and I get the fear. I really do. I get the fear. But we also learn that fear is not reality. And like Dr. Rob was just, you know, saying too, we have to confront those misbeliefs. So I hear what you're saying. You're saying that I'm doing the inner child work and I maintain boundaries when I'm with my partner. That's great. So, so you're learning pieces of that. Um, you know, and, and I, and I'm not talking about this, but for, for, I used to have to go cause I had this fear and I was like, what's the worst that can happen. And like, I'd have to play through like, what's the absolute worst that can happen. So my partner leaves me, that would suck, you know, but I will survive it. I will learn to do life better. I mean, I, I did all those. And once I accepted that I would survive the absolute worst, you know, then I was more able to see what reality really was so that was helpful for me i am so glad that you have an understanding that this is more of a thought than a reality because i don't hear you saying my partner's talking about leaving me they don't want to be with me they you know i will say that if you get sober and you stop acting out these are the kinds of things that come up you know, when I'm constantly running to a stranger for sex, I'm not worried about abandonment. <laughs> but once I am solely with one person and focused on the intimacy between us, it's like I said before, if I have sex with a sex worker or an affair partner or, you know, I, I don't have any fear. I have control there. No sex worker is going to abandon me. I could just find another one. But in this situation, this is when it really starts to get scary. This is when the rubber hits the road because I don't have any other way of escaping these fears. And so I think you've already taken a big step, which is recognizing that this is an issue. The other thing is I would really tell your partner, not, not ask them how they can prove to you that they're not gonna abandon you, and not that you're telling them to manipulate them, but you can say, I live in a lot of fear that, um, that we're not gonna be together. And with all the stuff I've done, I actually think that would make sense and so um, I really respect wherever you're at, but I, I do live in this sphere and it's something I'm learning to, to get over and be at peace with. But I absolutely think these are things from the past that are showing up now because you're really working on it. And I also say to all addicts that, you know, our behavior is, is well, Tammy said this, the tip of the iceberg. It's the part that you can see, it's the symptom. Um, although most partners wouldn't call it a symptom, trust me, the acting out is mm -hmm. a symptom of other things that are underneath. And your abandonment is what lies underneath the acting out. So just think about this. If you're able to tolerate these feelings and not act about, out over them, you're gonna grow. So, and if you race to fix them, you're not gonna grow. So um, what do we got left, Tammy? Another question? 
Oh yeah, we've got, uh, so hi, hey Dr. Robin Tammy. I was diagnosed with OCD many years ago and had an issue, had this issue before porn issues. I'm wondering what is the general approach for someone struggling with OCD and porn? I'm not sure wh what is driving what, and I need to find healing ASAP before this gets worse. Okay, well, to me, this is a fairly simple answer, which is go see a really good psychiatrist because I work with lots of people who have OCD, but when they are on the right medication, like we work with people who are bipolar and when they're manic, they're having sex everywhere. And OCD, people are having sex um, compulsively. Uh, we actually work with people who have ADD, attention deficit, and they have sex impulsively. So, you know, it's not unusual for these things to go together, but if you don't get your sight, it's sort of like, it's like if people are still drinking and using, they're not going to be able to deal with this stuff, you know, because you actually have to have a clear mind to deal with this stuff. So unless you really have your mental health in place, it's much harder to even answer questions like this. Um, you don't need to be a professional in my field. You just need to go see one. And any amount of money that it costs you is going to come back in endless payoff because you're going to be much clearer on what's going on and what isn't. Um, if you have OCD and you're probably medicated, properly medicated, you're probably going to know if you have an obsessive relationship with sex or if your obsession about everything is running into the sex. Um, but go see a good doctor. That's what I would do. So tagging onto that one, I'm going to ask you this one too. So um, how about dual diagnosis if a sex addict also has mental challenges? Do they need to be addressed separately? So, and you, you kind of talked about with OCD, but mm -hmm. there's lots more. So can you just elaborate a little bit? Well, I think there's a difference between a psychiatrist and seeing a therapist. Psychiatrists have a particular purpose in our lives, which is to do they're doctors, they're MDs, and their goal is to diagnose any medical or psychological issues that may be alleviated with medication. So does my psychiatrist need to know that I'm obsessive and that I, I use porn compulsively? Absolutely, they need to know that. Do I expect that being on medication or seeing the psychiatrist is going to help me with my emotional and mental challenges? No, that's what therapy is for. But yeah, you have to get those mental health issues stabilized. You know, when I was dealing with a lot of depression, which I've had on and off my whole life, um, you know, how successful I was gonna be wasn't really clear to me because I couldn't get out of bed. <laughs> So how successful you're going to be at your recovery and how it's going to make you feel um, and whether you're going to want to act out or not is really not going to be served and understood until you see someone who can look at you and say, I think these meds would help. So, and meds help, by the way, I have no problem. And I'll just say for me personally, if something will help me, I'm all over it. Whether it's going to a meeting or seeing a therapist or getting a sponsor, whatever, I am not hesitant about bringing things on board that will help me in my relationships in my life. Some of you are like, oh, and I, no judgment. I just don't think this is a helpful way of thinking. Some of you are saying, well, I wish I could do it without medication. I'm just going to barrel my way through and I can figure it. And I just think, why bother? It's like, you know, unless you are a drug addict and you're trying to medicate, you know, your feelings. And by the way, the drugs we take for OCD and depression don't feel particularly good. So they're not like taking fun drugs. But um, if you don't get this piece handled, it's really hard to understand your relationship with the sex and the addiction. You want to do one more just for the heck? Or do you sure. have to go, Tim? No, no, no. I'm good. Okay. So um, I'm going to work on your slides next. So, okay. Um, there is, let me see, I've been typing. So, uh, how do I forgive myself for having betrayed my partner? My partner does not know 
I never physically cheated, but I started reaching out to old qualifiers and fantasizing about cheating. After a few days and the realization that I was doing the wrong thing, I reblocked them and recommitted to my partner. I feel guilty, but I do not feel I need to disclose. I feel I have um, I just need to make a living amends and not do that again. How do I get rid of the guilt I feel? Uh, well, I heard I do. First of all, I don't know what you're doing. So, you know, if you say you never physically cheated, masturbation to porn is physically cheating. It may not be with another person, but you're engaged in sexual activity that's going to affect your relationship. So I don't know what you mean by physically cheated. It sounds like a nice way of saying what I did wasn't as bad as what other people did. And, you know, I can't compare my pain to someone else's. I can't compare it to my acting out to someone else's. I can just say for me, this is what the problem is and how it's causing problems in my life. So, um, and look, Tammy, I think when they say I was doing the wrong thing and reblocked them, I think it has something to do with romantic behavior or sexting or something like that online with another fantasizing. Person. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and reaching by, out to old qualifiers. So yeah, problem. And let me tell you why you need to disclose with the support of a therapist is that she's going to find it. He's going to find it. They're going to look on your computer and they were going to do their detective work. And I trust me, they will hire someone to go through that hard drive. That's And when it is found out that you've been chatting with this person, even though you block them now, and when your spouse sees what that conversation has been, it's not going to go well for you. So I would rather be the head ahead of it and say, under the right circumstances, when you're getting support and I, you know, I think you need to know. In fact, I'll just say to all of you, I don't have to tell my spouse if I look at someone on the street or if I drive through the wrong neighborhood or, you know, but I do need to tell my spouse if I have a slip. If I absolutely, if I go into a behavior, actively sexual or not, where I am doing something that I know would hurt them and I have agreed to them I'm not going to do, I have to tell them. Because as angry and hurt as a spouse is when they hear what I've been doing, it's more angering and more hurtful when I, they realize that that I haven't been honest with them. You know, if I tell you I was looking at porn last night and it's not on my plan and I lost my sobriety, you're not going to be happy with me. We're not going to have a good evening. But there's something I think in most spouses that will go off that says, huh, I don't like what's happened, but this, but I actually know what's happening. This person actually told me and I'm used to guessing and having it be a secret. So um, I do think you need to disclose, but under the problem, and guess what? You might feel less guilty, um, but it has to be in the, in the right circumstances. Tammy, it's a pleasure working with you. Yeah. Well, but I want to tag on, I was like, go for it. Your partner will find out and then it's going to be um, an atom bomb, you know? So I agree with Dr. Rob that, you know, I, uh, you're working a program of honesty you hiding behaviors because oh you don't really want them to find out and i didn't really physically cheat that's justification and denial it goes right back to what dr rob was saying about denial so this is cheating if your partner was sitting there watching what you were doing on your phone would your partner have been okay with it no you know so so it's yeah you had a slip and um and I, I would go so far as it's a relapse because you haven't come clean in 24 hours. So like, yeah, I, I think it's a problem. And until and unless you disclose that with your, I would get the, you know, the qualified professionals involved as well, but your partner yeah. will find out they, they do. And they are devastated. They're more devastated when they find out because they discovered it and they will. Well, and because they thought like this was the, the bottom 
and that this was as bad it was going to get and they could deal with that and start moving but then they find out there's more it's like it's a never-ending roll into darkness you know i do um one more say something more about living amends so in a living amends is something that i do when i'm unable to make an apology or clear the issue up so for example someone may have died that I really hurt in the past, and I cannot do anything to heal the issue with them. But I can live in a way that, that living amends that where I'm giving of myself in order to sort of make up for the harm that I caused. I can't make it up with them, but I can feel good about myself by giving to others, which is a living amends to me. But if my partner's right there and I'm just choosing to not tell them, we don't call, I don't care how many things you do for them, you're not making a living amends because you're lying to them. And lying by omission, as Tammy said, is lying. Well, I just didn't tell them. You lied to them. And by the way, they hate that. They really hate that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.